And welcome to the bi-weekly Industry 4.0 community podcast. I am your host with the most, Walker D. Reynolds. It is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, and the boys are back in town. So um, as you can tell by the thumbnail, uh, Zach Scriven and Vaughn Turner are co-hosting the podcast this week. Uh, I think for like a year, a year and a half, it was the three of us every single week. And we had Zach a couple of weeks ago, and now we've got Vaughn back. Vaughn has come back to 4.0 Solutions. We're going to talk about what he's been doing the last year, year and a half, and um, what he's going to be doing at 4.0 Solutions now. This week, we're going to, we have a great podcast for you that we have a shit ton to get into. Um, but in general, we're going to be uh, talking about digital transformation for small manufacturers. Me answering a couple of questions about that. We're going to be talking about a couple of discussions. There's a very common misconception inside of the um, Industry 4.0 digital transformation space, specifically even in our Industry 4.0 community, about the role of MQTT and ERP. And I'm going to talk about a couple of threads. One that was in the Discord server over the weekend. Very heated discussion about this topic. And if you're not a member of the Discord server, you should be. Hell, if you read just two threads in that Discord server over the weekend, one in the Unified Namespace channel and one in the Digital Transformation channel, you would have gotten one years of education just watching that, that just reading through that thread over the weekend. Um, but we're going to go over the thread that was in the Unified Namespace channel, and then I'm going to talk about a, a thread that was on LinkedIn. Um, this guy, Yuri, that had posted a thing on LinkedIn. Actually, I think it was a, a comment to a thread on LinkedIn. I'm going to go through that as well and kind of tie it together at the end. We're going to talk about ERP and MQTT and, and Industry 4.0 uh, infrastructure. But before that, I want to get into um, get into some announcements. Um, so as, of, as you guys should probably know by now, we have scheduled all the workshops that we're going to do for the first half of the year. Okay, so we're doing all the early bird releases one week right in a, in a, in a row. So there's an early bird this week, there's an early bird next week, and there's an early bird the following week. And we've scheduled all the workshops out through June. Okay. So uh, workshop number one is bootstrapping your digital transformation process workshop. So uh, you guys should have seen the announcement for this last week. The early bird for that is ends this week. But if this is really centered around all the people who reach out to us and say, I know we need to do this. I'm trying to get buy-in internally and I can't get over hurdle A or I can't get over hurdle B or I can't get over hurdle C, all right? So that bootstrapping your digital transformation process workshop is gonna be February 23rd, Thursday from 10 o'clock to about 2.30. It's four and a half hours, give or take. There are three primary deliverables that come out of that. You'll you'll leave with questions to take back to your, your um, organization as well as a way to do a self-assessment and score yourself so you can kind of know where you are digital in terms of digital maturity. The second workshop is in March or it's uh, in March and it is leveraging chat GPT for digital transformation. Okay. That's going to be March 23rd, which is a Thursday. I'm going to be teaching that. Um, and that will launch next week. So you'll see all the, all the information about that, that workshop. It'll be a four hour workshop. You'll see all that next week. Um, advanced MES bootcamp. So for those of you who are in core MES bootcamp, here's how this is going to happen. Okay. On March 4th. So 
March 4th, which is a Saturday, we will do a final putting a bow on the core MES um, course that we did um, through December. Okay. Um, we finally got the OEE engine fixed. There was a memory leak in ignition. We had to use a new release of ignition to get the memory leak fixed. We were able to find it. So all of that's good to go. Everything will be uploaded and, and ready for you guys um, uh, before we do the, the March 4th putting a bow on it. And everyone will get copies of the back end, the code, the uh, gateway backup, um, and all the visualizations, uh, including there's some document deliverables that we, we promised you guys. So that'll take place March 4th, okay? Um, and then advanced MES bootcamp will start in April. So start it, So there'll be three sessions as we think right now. It might be four, but it's the first one's going to be April 29th, which is a Saturday. The second session will be May 25th, which is a Thursday. And the reason why is because that's Memorial Day weekend in the United States, and we want we don't want to be doing a session on a Saturday there. And the, and the third session will be June 17th, which is a Saturday. It is the last Saturday before I go on sabbatical. So um, those are the announcements on, on the upcoming workshops. You should see, you should, are, the if you're interested in the digital transformation process workshop, the bootstrapping, that's already launched. Uh, Industry 4.0 and ChatGPT will launch next Monday. Um, and the Advanced MES Bootcamp will, will launch the Monday after that. Okay. Um, and it'll be available at IoT.University. Mastermind students this Friday, uh, February 10th, 8 o'clock. Remember, we are we have our first new mastermind session. We're going to be doing our planning for the virtual factory. Okay. Uh, and those of you who are in mentorship next Friday, 9 o'clock, you will be getting your, your assignments for um, doing the development that comes out of the scrum planning that we'll be doing this, this uh, Friday. Um, and with that, I think I've got all the announcements. Yippee Kaye, I did in less than five minutes. Good for me. All right. So let's bring uh, Vaughn and Zach in. Josh. Holy shit. The boys are back. The boys are back. What up? What's up? So what do you guys uh what do you get? So Zach, it's good to have you back. You were here a couple of weeks ago, and I'd said, Hey man, what, aren't you just interested in why don't we? I I mean, I would just rather we do this. Um, you know, you join the podcast. I want, <clears throat> I want to say, um, there's a podcast I've been listening to, and some of you guys maybe have listened to it too. It's called the My First Million podcast, mm -hmm. and they, it has it reminds me, it reminded me of our podcast, how it's just the boys and just we're just shooting the shit and we're just authentic. And you know, we're talking about they, they talk a lot about business ideas and have entrepreneurs on, and it's like, wow, like we need to bring this back, dude. Like, this is the vibe, you know, it is, it is absolutely. So Vaughn, what have you been up to, man? So what, real quick, so to, to let everybody kind of know what's going on. So Zach is, it, you know, Zach left in June and he's been doing his uh, EV. Uh, what's the name of your company again? I can never remember the name of the fucking company. Electric Mobile Detailing. Electric Mobile Detailing, right. And and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't seen that podcast, go back into the live section of the YouTube channel. You can watch that podcast where Zach talks about you know, how the business works and, you know, how he's been scaling and issues he's been running into. And he actually did a couple of, I think they were on Instagram. He did a couple of shorts, which was, you know, what was the the highest high? What was the lowest low? Uh, those are a couple of good, really snippets in there. Those of you that don't know, we've been working with, we've been talking to Vaughn about bringing Vaughn back. Right. And um, we, we finally were able to pull that off. Vaughn actually, started he his first day back with 4.0 solutions was yesterday so welcome back to the team buddy thank you very much 
much glad to be All right, here. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone kind of what you've been up to since, uh, you know, over the last year, year, year and a half or whatever, and, and how you came back to us and what you're going to be doing here. Okay. Over the past year, year and a half, I've actually been working at a small, small, um, it was a greenfield operation. So basically I had to take some of the things that we were implementing that, and that I learned, you know, with 4.0 and Intellic, they, okay, let's get in on the ground floor here of this manufacturing facility and real world issues. Let's see how we can streamline processes and went from um, literally when I say ground zero, there was nothing technology, zero smart devices, no processes. I mean, we were completely built manufacturing processes. Um, because it was a a time so we built tiny cabins, which were actually classified as RVs. Um, under five. So they were they were they were they were classified as RVs. Were they real? I didn't know that. Correct. So for, if if, yeah. Z, if he if Vaughn is cutting out for you, basically what he said is for the last year, year a year and a half, he's been he'd been working for a small manufacturer in South Carolina that manufactures tiny homes, but they're classified as RVs. And yes. he, we, he and I talked a lot while he was there and um, about some of the issues that they were running into. He was heading up digital transformation. So if, he cut out there a couple places. If, if you, that's the cliff notes version. If you, if, if he cut out for you, go ahead, man. Right. Basically a lot of issues, right? So, um, and then you and I, with our correspondent, and I was like, you know, this is crazy that a lot of the things that we were seeing, you know, in the real world is what we were, you know, what we were teaching this whole time. Uh, laid out in an email to Walker, um, kind of some observations. Gathered. Um, so I went through that and then into that email, it kind of segued into what I'm going to be doing enterprise training. Um, so you sent, so real quick, so it, real quick, I want to read this. So Vaughn sent this email unprompted to me. And, and the name of the email was observations from the plant floor. This is what he called it. I sent it to my executive leadership team. I forwarded it to him. But, you know, this is, you know, and I'll give you the, and the reason I'm only chiming in is because you, you're cutting out every, every once in a while, Vaughn. But, and I, I do want you to answer two questions. Number one, what was the biggest challenge? Like you, you obviously had trouble getting, getting over the hump. It wasn't necessarily buy-in, right? Like the ownership group was bought in, right? It was Correct. getting over the hump. A lot of it was ground level politics, right? Front level politics. Cor correct. Okay. And so, but you would, you didn't have problems with the ownership. The ownership was all in, including the investment group and everything. The issue was getting the buy-in on the plant floor in this case, right? It was, it was front Absolutely. level buy-in. Absolutely. Right? Okay. Absolutely. So Vaughn, Vaughn sends this, this email out. This is an important message. Like this is, this is Vaughn literally living, you know, there's a, this guy, Manbeer. Um, man Beeressa, who I think is in mastermind, he sent a message to Cheryl. He sent this message to Cheryl and he said, Hey, Cheryl, I hope you're doing well. He said, I had a topic in mind that I'd like Mr. Reynolds to cover, if not already on his podcast. So number one, 
It's about the small and medium manufacturers in the United States, 98% of which are small businesses, and 75% of those are with less than 20 employees. So that is where Vaughn was, right? You had, what, was it 16, 18 employees or something, right? Correct. So he says, these small manufacturers neither have the floating capital nor the skill set to drive digital transformation. So in addition, they most likely opt for smaller or cheaper enhancements like digital twin to achieve some efficiency rather than fully transforming with a unified namespace approach. What are Walker's recommendations for small and medium manufacturers? So I want to answer Manbeer's question. I want to kind of talk about why we do some of the things we do. And I want to put it within the context of what Vaughn sent to us. So Vaughn sends me this email unprompted. And it said, observations from the plant floor. And he said, hey, Walker, I wanted to reach out to you and give you some feedback and observations I've made while working on the plant floor for the, fl for the last year. Some of you will, uh, some you will, you will see just go to verify and solidify the things that you already know. And some hopefully will provide some new context and issue facing today's manufacturing environment. So some of these should be very familiar to Manbeer, right? So number one, under deficiencies and opportunities, and I'm just going to give the bulleted list. He wrote, there are failures in leadership. And then he has a bunch of examples and how you should mitigate. He said, number two, there's an absence of clarity for digital strategy. And then he put a bunch of examples and a bunch of questions that need to be answered. He wrote, leadership is tremendously out of touch with rank and file employees. And it's, and it's, uh, he puts a bunch of lists of examples, including, you know, what do they actually do on a daily basis? By the way, this is a really common plant managers ownership rarely don't un rarely understand what it is an operator actually does during a day, like what the job is actually like. They rarely understand that. They rarely understand the gaps, the, what drives inefficiency, right? Uh, he said there's still very widespread compartmentalization of data and information. He gives a bunch of examples. He said there's a lack of accountability measures. We don't want to offend anyone. So if you see something wrong, you just fix it. He gives a bunch of examples. And then he, he breaks down inventory and warehouse management. And then he writes out basically a dissertation on here's what the market needs. This is what's missing. Okay. And in a nutshell, it's education. It's training. It's, it's cohesive. A, a cohesive mindset, right? And what you guys may not know is a couple of years ago, um, Vaughn and Zach worked with a, a, a large tier one automotive supplier client of ours to put together an enterprise training program for them. And over the last two years, we have been literally, we literally built a, we're literally just finishing the last of all the translations so this is done in, I think, in Travis, I think it's three languages. So um, in, in addition to English, um, every single employee in the organization, two different companies. So one is a child company, a division, one's a parent company. I think it's 15,000 employees in the original implementation. And then it's 50,000 up top. Every single employee goes through digital transformation training through their own platform, a program we created. We shot all the videos. We wrote all the tests. We did everything. Vaughn had a chance to see the, you know, Vaughn had no manufacturing experience when he came to 4.0, right? Right. Correct. So you, you started out on the consulting side, on the educational yep. side. Then you went to the plant floor 
saw it with your own eyes. Then you were able to put the two together. You write this dissertation, which by the way was once I sent this to my executive leadership, they said, we need Vaughn back. <laughs> we need, we need Vaughn back here. And that this is how this whole thing happened. He came back and he's going to be heading up our enterprise training program. That is his job is to help get in touch with large enterprises and do the educational component to close these educational gaps. Let me ask you this. So now that I've proselytized here, the biggest challenges, Vaughn, I mean, because you and I, we talked for hours on the phone. We talked for hours and hours and hours about the issues. What were the biggest challenges for you? And And this wasn't a huge operation, right? You guys were, how many units were you producing a week? We were only producing like three units a week. I mean, we're not three, you know, but the average, yeah, three okay. because we're we're running eighteen people, you know, at, at the max. Um, so you know, two was, was, you know, the ownership was bought in, like like you'd said, they were bought in for kind of what drove my decision to work there is because they said all the right thing. What what I noticed though was. was the lack of a digital strategy, digital strategy, the ownership group and the leadership team had no idea is why do we need one and how the hell do we even implement one things. Number two. And I think this is probably for me, this is the most that your rank and file employees, your production product, your production operators, your maintenance, you know, they come to work every day and they want to make their job as easy as possible. Say, I right. don't want to fucking make this hard. Nobody right. says that, right? Right. But there's a glaring technophobia with these guys where they, that they're going to be replaced. You know, and I spent a lot of my time just trying to, I had learned prior Oh, hey guys, this is not going to phase you out your job easier. This is going to help in- increase your production. And then with that, of course, come advances in your job, you know, everything like that. But those are two of the biggest factors. Yeah. Most, most people just don't understand that the economy grows, right? It's not as, as the population increases, as nations industrialize, the demand for your goods and services go up mm-hmm. and you need, and, and you need to become more efficient so that you can meet the increased demand for your goods and services. It is only in rare cases in manual and high risk positions where we're, where we automate out the human being. But when we automate out the human being, I've never, I've said this a million times in my career. I have never done an automation project that costs someone their job. They always go to some other position. They're they're always moved into a safer role somewhere else in the organization. Go ahead, Zach. What you're gonna say? If, <clears throat> I mean, if that's the case, then where does this mindset come from? It came from the '80s. It, it came from the '80s. So, you know, so, you know, the concept of you think about the well for Zach, you're probably too young to remember this, but the, <laughs> cause you're only, you just turned 30, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's fucking crazy. I've known you forever and you just turned 30. It's just so weird. We've been working together forever and you just turned 30. Um, the, 
the U.S. economy wasn't global in the 80s, right? The things that you, be, before we started buying things from China and Vietnam and Taiwan, right? The things that you bought in the United States, the, 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 the consumer goods you bought were made in the United States. That's how our economy initially was, right? When we started to globalize through trade, right? Where, where we didn't leverage automation to, to be able to serve a much larger market. Okay, so we got gobbled up by the Japanese companies and the German companies who did automate and the manufacturers in China and Vietnam and Mexico who could who paid 50 cents an hour. Okay, we got we they could they could serve a much larger market than we could. Okay, because we didn't increase our efficiency. Okay, and then we had to go chase cheap labor. The perception was. It created this perception that automation costs jobs. Here's the other thing. The ROI calculations that most organizations use are based on reduction in headcount. But in reality, not automating costs the jobs. Correct. Well, here's the other. It, n number one, not automating costs the jobs because it costs you the entire market, your availability in the market. But number two, the, the ROI calculation is never in absolute terms. It's... We're automating here to reduce three heads that we're going to move to over there. <laughs> but they get they get they get to they get to reduce three heads. They get to say on paper they reduced three heads. No, they didn't. They took three heads and they moved them over here. That's what they did. Okay. Um, all right. So with that, I want to I, I, I want to pivot to this this conversation from Discord real quick. Okay. But I want to answer Manbeer's question. What is what are my recommendations for small and medium manufacturers? Okay, and I and I've decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this um, this thing that Luke posted. Luke Small. I'm going to go ahead and read it real quick. So uh, Luke Small, who, who we've had on the podcast before, um, used to work at GE. Um, he's a I can't remember which. I don't remember what company he's with. He has his own consultancy and big voice in digital transformation. He and I probably agree on, let's say, uh, 80% from a philosophical perspective. There's a huge overlap in terms of what we agree on. There are some key things that we kind of go head to head on occasionally, but have the utmost respect for Luke. But he pu he published on um, LinkedIn this morning. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I will because we got a couple extra minutes. He, his post this morning is, what if we're thinking about artificial intelligence and manufacturing all wrong? He says, what if data wasn't the problem all along? What if we could leverage AI, not just as a layer on top of a data pipeline, but as a plumber within the pipeline, making all the data flow, okay? What if industry 3.0 versus 4.0 didn't matter? What if a data warehouse was good enough? What if we're investing millions in modernizing our plant floor systems? This is the important point. What if we're investing millions in modernizing our plant floor systems only to find the same outcomes are achievable with existing messy data sources? Now, I just want to point out, we do not propose that manufacturers modernize their plant floor systems. We're, we, the, those who are proposing rip and replace, they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, rip and replace is a, there's really three options. Do we integrate through a gateway? Do we rip and replace? Do we leave it dark? And once it's deprecated, it's sunset it, we replace it with something that meets minimum technical requirements. Rarely are you going to get the money out of tearing out systems and spending tens of millions upgrading systems. Rarely are you going to get the ROI out of that. He says, what if our thinking was limited to what we've seen work elsewhere? And then he hashtag degenerative AI. 
What if we focus the power of technology-driven innovation on the real problem at hand, brownfield messy data sources that are our only current option, and we have to clean them up before we do anything fun with? Okay. That's not a small business or a medium manufacturer problem. That's an enterprise problem. The problem that a small and medium manufacturer has is centered around strategy. It, it, it's, it's small and medium manufacturers are spending capital, right? Where you worked, Vaughn, they're spending money, right? Absolutely. But they're not spending it smartly. And the reason they're not spending it smartly is because they don't have a strategy. When they buy a switch, when they buy, when they're, when they're buying one little um, process to run in the, you know, they're, say they're buying a, uh, um, a crimper or something. When they go to spend the capital on that, they don't have minimum technical requirements to say, you know what, this smart thing needs to plug into a, a digital infrastructure of our business. We need to be able to capture the events off that smart thing. So what they go do, they, they buy it dumb. They spend as little money on the crimper as they possibly can, and they never ask right. what that crimper is capable of other than crimping. Okay? Small and medium manufacturers need to be focused on strategy. Okay? They have to define a digital strategy. Why do we want to be a digital company? Why do we want to collect data? Right? Zach is running a, a detailing business for electrical vehicles. And it, but he's running it on top of a digital strategy. Right. And that digital strategy is taking the concept to the masses and connecting the consumer with the service provider from a digital infrastructure. Right. 100%. On a digital strategy. Okay. That's the digital strategy. Okay. I want to finish Luke's point here and then we'll, we'll get into this, this Discord chat, which was just fucking crazy this weekend. So, this girl, I, I think it's a girl. Her name, yeah. Her name's Chelsea. She said, what if there is sense to all this mess and we're just in need of a Messiah to help us through it? Dot, dot, dot. Right. It was obviously like a stab. And Luke tagged me and he said, Walker Reynolds' ears are burning. So obviously it's a play on, hey, what well, maybe Walker Reynolds is the Messiah. I am not. <laughs> I, 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 I'm here to educate. That's it. <laughs> okay. That's I educate these types of things. And, you know, if you're standing in a room and you're watching manufacturers do it wrong over and over and over again, and you have this, this whole list of manufacturers who did it right, right? And you know how they did it right. Why wouldn't you tell everyone else how to do it right? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what we're doing. So I, I chimed in here, and this is kind of an important point. Oh, wait. Uh, Chelsea said, Luke Small, oh, no, Walker's truly my idol. I have learned from him. I still refer back, refer back, blah, 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 to my stuff. And I said, Luke, uh, laugh out loud. If only it were that easy, Jeff Immelt could have saved us all. <laughs> okay. Um, in all seriousness, though, thanks for the tag. We don't need a Messiah or rip and replace. We don't need a Messiah or rip and replace for the enterprise manufacturer. All we have ever needed are two things. And these are the two things that both enterprise manufacturers need and small manufacturers need. Okay. They're the same thing, right? Number one, we have to have a mindset shift to the value of data as a commodity. The commodity. Every event semantically organized and stored. So every event, that means every transition. In your case, Vaughn, it would have been every time one of the small homes moved from one station to the next. That's an event. When did it go into the station? When did it come out? Who was working on it? When? Which manufacturing step was being performed at which? Each of those events, whether the ownership group is using it or not, they need a, they need a, a mindset 
that the acquisition of that data is our primary commodity. That data is the commodity, the events themselves. Yep. Okay. Number two, a digital infrastructure designed to support semantic organization and storage as an actual reflection of reality, not an abstraction of reality. No square pegs into round holes. And I'll, I'll drive this home here. In a digital world, we are all objects made up of data and information models. I'm an object in the digital world. Zach's an object. Vaughn's an object. Every person on here is an object, a digital object in digital worlds. Data model and information model. We're, we're an instantiation of a class. That's exactly it. We're an instantiation of a class with the ability to add ad hoc parameters and properties. So that are unique that make me, my implementation of the class unique to your implementation of the class, mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that there are commonalities between the two of us. We also have our own edge uh, neural network. Correct. We are, <laughs> so our digital representation, our digital representation is an, is a reflection of who I actually am, not taking who I am and fitting me into a digital model. Say that we, again. So one of the fundamental issues in digital transformation is that what we try to do is, is take, uh, so let's say I've got three tanks on a plant floor. We were talking about this with determinism. I got three tanks on a tank, okay? And I create a model of a tank called a tank. And that model is going to have some parameters. It's going to have a serial number. It's going to have the height, the width, the volume. It's going to have the material the tank's made out of, Okay. It's going to have um, installation date, et cetera, okay? Um, but not all tanks are created equal. You're a tank, I'm a tank, Vaughn's a tank, okay? I'm a tank that while I have the parameter of weight, right? This morning I weighed uh, um, 236 pounds, right? You, have the, you, you weigh, Vaughn, Zach probably weighs 190 pounds and Vaughn, whatever Vaughn weighs. The, our value may be different. All three of us have weights, okay? But uh, I have a feature you don't have, okay? I have chin hair. So the color of my chin hair is a parameter of me. Zach has no chin hair. So the color of Zach's chin, chin hair is nothing. He doesn't have no. chin hair. You don't have that parameter, okay? So in when we try to do deterministic modeling, Okay, when we try to fit something on the plant floor into a model, what we try to do is we say, what are the, all the possible parameters? And if you don't have that parameter, we'll just put not applicable. No, 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 no. What should happen is, Zach, when I see your digital model, there should be no reference to chin hair because you don't have any. Okay? And there should be a reference to chin hair because I do. What I'm saying is, in a digital world, we are all objects made up of data and information models. Okay. It, it, you, the model, the data model, needs to be a representation of the fucking reality. People will ask this question all the time. Mm. What do we do about inline testers? So a tester where I have an inline tester that I may move across three production lines. Okay. So it may be on production line one, and then, oh, we're not running on one. We're going to move it to two. Strappers are really common ones also. Like if you're going to be like, say, strapping books or something, you won't have a strapper for every production line. You'll, you'll roll it, plug it in. What do I do about that? Oh, well, it's really quite simple. 
when you when the strapper is moved from line one to line two, the strapper information model and data model falls under line two in the United Unified Namespace. It doesn't. It's not under line three. It moves to line two, and then when you unplug it, it's not there anymore. That's my point. My point is is that what we see digitally should be a representation of the reality. Mm. That's the difference. Okay. Got it. So edge, dri edge driven, basically edge driven, right? Edge driven. But what is missing? What is missing? Digital strategy. The, 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 why we want to be a digital company. Okay. The, the, why we want to be a digital company and, you know, yep. we're going to be doing this chat GPT thing, yeah. right? Chat GPT for industry 4.0 and Google's got a big announcement tomorrow on their, um, their language model. Um, I heard Sergey Bryan like dusted off his laptop and and did a pull request for like a first line of code in like ten years or something. Did like, he really? That's what I, I saw an article. Maybe it's like you know overhyping it, but like he he's like getting he's getting he's getting he's like dusting off his shoulders and getting back in it. You know. <laughs> so the the what was the question that Tomas asked? Is that uh, Josh? We put that back up. How about interactions between data, Tomas? Can you expand on that? Um, about the interactions. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pivot. So the historian will be responsible for capturing the version of the model throughout a timeline. Yes, exactly. Someone asked the question in Discord the other day. Actually, I'm going to get into it right now. Let's get into this piece here. But someone had asked the question about, he said, I'm new to MQTT. Okay. His name is Don Panko. Okay. And Don says, you know, I'm new to MQTT. And forgive me for being a newbie. So this, I'm going to read through this whole thread because it's very important, okay? So Don says, I'm a newbie here with some questions about unified namespace and maybe MQTT in general. I apologize if this could be found with a search, but I'm not even sure what to search for. So number one, a few scenarios I'm stuck on. Number one, an MQTT subscriber has been offline for a while for maintenance or whatever. It now comes back online and wants to know what the latest values of its subscribe topics are. So this is an MQTT client consuming. With MQTT being report by exception, how does the subscriber do this for the values that are not actively changing? And the answer is it happens from the client who is publishing. So when I publish the payload, I'm saying I'm gonna, I would do two things. Number one, I want my quality of service to be two. That is, I want to make sure it gets to all the people who subscribe to it. Okay, that means the broker will reserve it for anyone who has subscribed to it, even if they're not connected. And number two, you want to retain it. You want a retained flag. So when that MQTT client connects to the broker, any retained value will be sent as if it just happened. Okay. All right. Number two, he says an MQTT publisher, say a smart sensor, is configured, is considered the single source of truth for a given value, but it's currently offline. Is this value just treated like a bad quality tag? This is the history question. Is this value just treated like a bad quality tag until it comes back online or is a historian queried to fill in the last known value? In my experience with AWS IoT, I would look, I would look to the thing shadow in these cases, but my understanding is that this is not part of the MQTT standard. Rather, it's a supporting service offered by AWS. Is there an equivalent within the standard for MQTT or broader, broader unified namespace concept? The answer is yes. So we do two things, okay? Um, if we do, if we do retention, if we do retention, we configure this on the historian side. What we'll do is we'll say 
if we go to bad quality, if 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 the topic goes to bad quality, do we just hold the last known value and then the next good value we store? Or if we see bad quality, we store a value of negative one. So what we would see on a trend is last good value down to negative one. And then wherever the next good value is, you would see another negative one and then good value. So I would see like a valley on the chart. That's one way. The other way is, and the way we generally do it, is we generally hold the last good value. Now, if I want my chart to represent that I was disconnected and that I don't know that that's what the value is, then what we're going to do is we're going to configure it to store a negative one value. Okay. So this would be like if I had, what would the historian show like when I had a beard? Like, you know, four or five years ago, I had, you know, beard. Actually, it's, it was, I have like kind of orange beard hair. Right. What would the historian show for that value of my attribute? You, so number one, you would have the attribute. You would have the you would have the parameter of beard, okay? Except the value you would have it because you've had a beard, but the value would have been uh it would have been red until you no longer had a beard, then it would become negative one. Now, in perpetuity, it's negative one or some other value. Negative two, negative three, whatever. Until I get a, a beard again or something. Until you get a beard, and now it's the it's the color, the numeric, either the numeric value for the color or the color itself. Okay. All right. So I want to get through this thread here. So Matt Mitchell Brink copies uh tags um retained messages, MQTT Essentials Part Eight from HiveMQ's um blog. And Dan says, Thank you, very helpful. And then I I piggyback on that. And I said, you know, I want to add on to what Matt said. The answer to number one is retained messages. The answer to number two is it depends on how you set things up. But by default, the, the device will be treated off as offline with a zero state. So we generally set historians up with QoS2 retained. So on the trend, it'll just hold the last good value. Depending on the data point, it may be necessary to show the outage. And a negative one would be stored as soon as state switches to zero or offline. Okay. Or or you, what you have is, uh, in the in the, in MQTT, it would say offline. And then this is really what started the firestorm. Rick Bellotta chimed in and he said, "Except this doesn't work if you use Sparkplug, so don't use Sparkplug." Okay. Now he's right; it doesn't work if you use Sparkplug. I want to hit pause here real quick. Okay. When we talk about using Sparkplug B, we we never, ever, ever, I'm going to be doing shooting a video on Sparkplug 3, which is really Sparkplug C, okay, but 3.0, be shooting a video on it here coming up next week. Um, we never use Sparkplug B exclusively in our infrastructure. We select MQTT, and then we our MTR is generally 3.1.1 comma 5 comma Sparkplug B. And we build a namespace that is an aggregation of the three. And the minimum technical requirements are, as a smart device, you got to meet one of these three requirements. If it's Now, what we do as we move as in a tiered integration approach, the higher we move up, every time we move from one layer to the next layer, we're using Sparkplug B nodes, okay? But within east-west, within a layer, broker layer, we are using MQTT3, 5, and Sparkplug B, and we're doing data operations, data ops, conversion, transformation, okay? Rick really fucking started a firestorm here. I'm going to quickly go through this. John Forboard was, you know, really said, hey, Rick, are you an end user? 
uh, is your advice in any way, shape or form something you have to feel the consequences of? I'm an end user and I find tremendous value in using Sparkplug B. These small messages are not constructive. It's just annoying and obstructive and your opinion on Sparkplug B's incompleteness is well noted. But do you have to make this comment every time? It kind of works with rebirths. And even if it didn't work, it's trivial to make spark plug to a flat converter and set the retain flag. He's right. John Forbord is absolutely right in his comment about the implementation on spark plug B. He hit, hit the nail on the head from both a technical perspective, but obviously he's irritated that Rick pointed out this doesn't work with spark plug. At a 10,000 foot view, Rick is right. It doesn't work with spark plug. You got to do a workaround, right? You got to do a workaround is what he really should have said. Uh, Rick said, I'm going to continue to do so until there's positive movement towards addressing the shortcomings of Sparkplug. Someone has to advocate for the end users. And since they don't seem willing to take it on and have accepted mediocrity at the, as a norm, yeah, I'm going to keep pushing for better. So what's the issue here? And the rest of the thread here should help. Uh, Ricardo uh, said, I, for one, get a lot of value with Rick's comments and criticisms. And at the same time, John Forborg's pragmatism. And let's get it to work with what we have kind of mentality. By the way, if you don't take John Forbord's mentality, you're going to fucking fail. If all you do is stand there and complain about the imperfections in anything, you're not going to achieve anything. So Forbord's absolutely right. Is spark plug, is the MQTT standard perfect? No. Is it the more perfect standard than all other standards out there for transport? Absolutely. Okay. There's no, even, even MQTT's biggest detractors will say that. Okay. Go ahead, Zach. You're going to say something. Is is that is that the same philosophy that Highbuy is sharing? Yes, absolutely. Okay, absolutely, same philosophy. Um, and then Rick said, in case you didn't notice, John Walker and I are mostly on the same page on this, and the need for these organizations to get their shit together and focus on what their end users need. So I want to make sure I read exactly what my position is. Um. Anders said, Anders uh, followed up and basically said what John Forbort said. Rick said, my initiative, Rick's got a, um, you know, a product in the works, right? And that he's, that he's developing for the, the, in the best interest of the organization, whether that's a standard, best interest of the community. Um, I said this, this is a very important conversation to have Anders and John and Rick going slamming it, you know, throwing haymakers at each other. It's an important conversation to have. I'm going to be shooting a video on Sparkplug 3 where I will cover some of the limitations of Sparkplug and what we need as a community going forward. Sparkplug is powerful. It's exceptional. It's useful. It's the best we have. But there are improvements that will force multiply value for end users. Rick's criticisms are valid, and we are in agreement. For what it's worth, Arlen Nipper is also in agreement on many of the technical gaps in the, spec the Sparkplug specification, like the need for microservice support. I know that because I talked to Arlen about it and he agreed with me. And he agrees with Rick Bellata. The two big things that are missing, by the way, I'll, I'll resume with my comment here in a second with Sparkplug. The two big things that are missing is support in the specification for handling transactions. Right now, you have to use a workaround to handle transactions. Okay. It works. And we do it all the time. And we use MQTT and Sparkplug B for full stack integration. Anybody who says you can't use MQTT to integrate ERP is not telling you the truth. That's not true. We do it all the fucking time. I mean, you absolutely can. Okay. You can do it with transactions. You absolutely can. But you have to use workarounds to do it. 
Okay. It's not native to the protocol and it's not native to the standards. Okay. Uh, and I'll talk about those here in a second. Um, I said, Rick's criticisms are valid in Arlen's in agreement for, and for now, John Forboard's attitude is the right one from an implementation standpoint. Rick's is the right perspective from a strategic standpoint. Both voices are needed. Spark Pug B alongside MQTT3 and MQTT5 now can solve nearly all digital transformation use cases. We have not run into a scenario where we cannot deliver in less time and for less money and higher time to value, shorter time to value than any other possible architecture. We have not been, we have not run into a scenario where we can't deliver with just those two. Okay. If you add in the improvements with Sparkplug 3 and MQTT5, you have a much stronger lever. We need a standard for transactions, Sparkplug Group. We need a standard for microservice support, Sparkplug Group. There are gaps. It does us no good to pretend there aren't. My concern and Rick's, the challenge that the Sparkplug Group is having with listening and delivering on those two much needed things. And there are other smaller gaps, but those are the two big ones, okay? The message for the average digital transformation professional. Foundation of edge-driven, report by exception, lightweight, and open. Okay, keep your focus there. MQTT and Sparkplug deliver, but there are limitations that drive the need for workarounds, but focus on the foundation. Right now, anyone who is saying MQTT can't do X, Y, or Z, and therefore you can't use it for your technical infrastructure is full of shit, full stop. They are full of shit, okay? They, ha they have some agenda. I get no money from MQTT. I'm, I'm not on the Sparkplug working group. I get no money from them. Okay. I, there, I have no financial incentive for anyone to pick MQTT over AMQP or DNP3 or any other broker protocol. Okay. The people who are telling you it doesn't work are they, I guarantee you, they have a financial incentive that they're trying to steer you to something else. Okay. All right. What Rick is saying is true. And I want to, I want to do a little side thing here. Here's a really good example. Here's why I have enemies also. Inductive automation for many years had, um, Ignition, had two absolutely glaring deficiencies in their platform, right? And I could bring anybody on here and I could say, what were the two biggest problems with Ignition's platform? What were the two things they needed to fix? Actually, let's say three. Go ahead, Zach. Well, number one was the tag engine didn't really scale to unlimited. You know, it's unlimited licensing for tags, but like once we got over a couple hundred thousand, you the, need you had to do distributed, right? The eight, yeah, but then that's what was kind of fixed with 8.0 and, and MQTT. Everybody said the same thing. Here it is. The mobile support, mobile application development sucked. Okay, when you when it was uh what was it? The mobile module was terrible. The historian garbage okay and we needed the support for version control there were th that, that i was going to pick the first two here was the biggest problem if you went if you went on a public forum and you said hey i love ignition but the mobile module sucks or the historian sucks don't use it or they need to fix this and this and this people in inductive automation would get pissed at you for pointing out what their flaws were they knew what the flaws were if you were having a beer with them at a bar or something they would be, their developers would be like, yeah, we know it's a problem, but you know, 
And for context, the old, old vision or the old mobile module right. was like a VNC viewer perspective is much it's rebuilt actually. from the ground up. Yeah. And I'm talking about what were the, what did the problems you, they still have the problem with the historian. You know, in fact, uh, my relationship with Canary was trying to convince induct inductive automation to use Canary as their, the, as their historian because their historian sucked. Which is right? what I Tatsoft, mean, Tatsoft did that. Right. That's in the Tatsoft is the one who ultimately ended up doing it. But my point is, is that in the community, if you were to if you were to say bad things about inductive automation publicly, it's not just them. It's going to be if you say bad things about Rockwell publicly, if you say bad things about Emerson and they get wind of it. They try to punish you for it. Now, I, I want to say inductive automation tr ever tried to be punitive. OK, but they certainly weren't happy that you were publicly disparaging the platform, even if it was true. Okay. I want to point out why that matters. Okay. This is why I defended Rick. Okay. So I said, Rick's trolling serves a very important purpose. Accountability in the community. Not everyone has fuck you money. Rick has fuck you money. I have fuck you money. Okay. So that what that means is no one, no one can use financial interest to manipulate me into saying or not saying something. Because I have fuck you money. Rick has fuck you money. No one can use the need for a sale or for you to funnel us leads or whatever because we don't need your, your money. The people who have fuck you money have to tell the truth. They're the ones who can take the heat. Those companies can't hurt me. They can't hurt Rick. They can't take away the leads. They can't keep his salespeople from going to conferences. They can't do that shit because he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care. He doesn't need them. And neither do I. And that's independence. That's real independence. And this is why I'm defending what Rick does because it's important for our community. Don't you so also have not, an obligation as, as, uh, okay. as a person in that position? Absolutely. And this is where David Brooks' book, The Second Mountain, comes in. You know, your first mountain is, you know, taking care of yourself and getting yourself in a position where you can make a real difference. The second mountain is when you change the world. Well, not everyone changes the world. Look how Joe Rogan does it. Joe Rogan got gazillions of dollars and then he, 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 his fuck you money is I'm going to bring in lots of different voices and I'm going to take it to the masses. Elon Musk on Twitter is I've got fuck you money. I'm not going to allow elites to control speech. I'm going to buy the platform that is the town square and we're going to we're going to listen to we're going to hear the bad ideas, we're going to hear the great ideas and when we contrast the great ideas with the bad ideas, the bad ideas look even worse. Right? That is the second mountain. All right. So, not everyone has fuck you money. And when you do, it's important to use that attitude and independence for good. And I'm going to talk about Eric Barnstead and Microsoft and that patent that they got for they they patented implementation certain implementations of PubSub Part 14 of OPCUA, okay, which I think is fucking appalling. By the way, I think it's appalling they did that. But I wrote that in this thread. What Eric Barnstadt and Microsoft did with patenting certain PubSub implementations of OPCUA is fucking appalling. Rick Rick's voice is the only contrarian one on Eric's self congratulatory LinkedIn post. I'm spending my own money to have my patent and trademark attorneys write a report on actual impact on the community. This is a totally different subject, but this is what you should do when you have fuck you money. 
Fuck you money and attitudes are important and Rick uses his for good and that's what matters. Okay? The point is, is that what Rick was saying about the problems with Sparkplug B are true. You have to use workarounds for certain integrations. But that's that's the truth for anything. All right, so let's talk about brass tacks then. What's the biggest problem? If the shortcoming in Sparkplug is transactions, okay, that's a big issue, and microservice, let's talk about it a little bit, okay? So later on in the thread, and I highly recommend you guys go onto the Discord server. Go. This is in the Unified Namespace channel. It starts on February 3rd at like 10 o'clock in the morning. It's a very long thread, but I'm going to kind of hit some of the highlights, okay? Um, Rick comes in and he says, the UNS concept is essential and valid. Where we disagree is on how best to achieve it in reality. There are no right answers, and there are plenty of wrong ones. We are on a journey that will take a bit longer, but we must resist the temptation to accept what we have to work with today as adequate. We are so close. No one is questioning Sparkplug B's role for SCADA applications. It's as good or as bad as any alternatives, but I think it is the wrong foundation for the enterprise UNS, Sparkplug B, not my NQTT, which is where the real value and opportunity will be captured. My intent is not to troll the users or implementers, but I do want to pressure those who control the various standards efforts to focus more on progress and results and less on process and bureaucracy. And I come behind and I say to piggyback on what Rick is saying, an actual gap we see, ERP to UNS through an IoT platform. So this is how we're almost always integrating ERP. And I'm going to, the reason I'm bringing this up, there's another LinkedIn thread we're going to touch on here in a second. ERP to the unified namespace through the IoT platform. So if we take Ignition, we use, say, SAP Business Connector, where we can download a BAPI, and then we can map the tags that are, the tags that are in the BAPI to individual topics that are in a unified namespace. You can do that through a business connector, where the connection to ERP is through the native um, protocol. It consumes the BAPI, which is the 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 uh, result call or the the result set from a call to the API, and then you map it into the unified namespace. I said there's a huge gap here. There is a there is a a gap we see, which is ERP to UNS. You got to use an IoT platform. You got to use a native connector to get you to MQTT. So you got to convert a BAPI into the topic namespace. This is a workaround because Sparkplug and MQTT have yet to close the gap when it comes to transactional data. So that is, we want to see a row of real-time data, like in a data set. So the top row is real-time and the, everything else is history underneath it. There's no support for that in Sparkplug B. There's no way to say, here's how you should structure a payload like that in a topic. So right now, what people do is they do one of two things. They either make the payload uh, they pass like an object from the platform in there, like a, a data set object. So if it's Python, it would be like a Py data set would be dropped in there, right? And then you got to parse that with code. And in some cases, what they're doing is they're putting it in as a JSON. So there's a key value pair for each column and row. There's a dictionary for each row, and then there's a key and a value for each column in the dictionary, okay? It's a glaring gap that we can't continue to close with a workaround forever. Okay, the workaround is still best right now, but not optional, optimal for the ultimate goal, which is plug into a digital supply chain. Um, and I want to touch on one other thing. Um, 
there was uh, Jeff Noonan, who's the guy from Libre, right? He's super smart architect guy. He points out that there's limitations, especially centered around ERP, okay? And one of the things that I wanted to highlight is this. In a digital transformation journey, okay, we talk about digital transformation happens in two giant steps. Step number one is that three to five years becoming a smart company. And step number two is plugging into a digital supply chain. The first two years, three years of that first giant step, okay, is connect, collect, store, analyze, visualize, okay? That, that's the first two or three years. MQTT Spark Plug B will do all of that for you. All of it. You won't run into a single issue, okay? Well, not a single issue using MQTT3, MQTT5, and MQTT Spark Plug B all together in the same broker namespace. So I don't see what the fucking problem is. What that, that doesn't mean that there aren't gaps. Okay. So I want to bring in this LinkedIn thing and then we're going to go over it in just a couple minutes. So Yuri Regnod, he's the head of manufacturing product at Cartier. He said, you will never connect an ERP to the UNS with MQTT. That's not true. You can natively do it with Odoo right now. Okay. It's time to stop oversimplifying the concept and thinking that MQTT spark plug will solve all the problems. MQTT spark plug will not solve all the problems. MQTT three, five, and spark plug using an IOT platform. Okay. Using an IOT platform that supports data operations will solve all your problems. No one has ever said MQTT spark plug is going to solve them all. Okay. Yuri's right there. So Jose Nueda, who this was on his post. He said in technology, I would never say never here. You have one, which already does. And he points out an ERP that supports and it's, it's uh, YGL world. There's another Odoo is native. There, there are many ERP systems that will, that communicate via MQTT. Um, and then he started talking about the unified analytics framework, which is a thing that Jeff Nepper and the guys at flow are working on. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in the future. And Jeff Noonan said, well said, Yuri. He's a CTO and co-founder at Libre. Jeff Noonan's a super brilliant engineer, super brilliant guy, right? Um, and I, I'm impressed with what Libre's got to offer, especially on paper. But you, we integrate ERP into MQTT topical namespaces all the time. I mean, in fact, just in the last six weeks, just in the last six weeks, there are two major press releases that have come out. One for a a company that makes battery packs for buses and another one in food and beverage where their organizations have been fundamentally transformed from a production perspective and a business perspective, all built on our infrastructure. Okay. I mean, in fact, we have a team right now on the floor doing final UAT at one of those facilities for the battery company. And on the food and beverage side, we've been doing whatever, 40 facilities, Fundamentally transformed. And ERP integration is central to that. But I wanted to point out how we achieve that and then kind of take this home. So Yuri, I said, I'll shoot a video response to this, but I wanted to contribute here. And this is where I think people's mindset needs to change. ERP is nothing but a series of functions like manufacturing, execution, or SCADA. ERP is not a thing. It's a group of things. And why are those groups of things, those groups of functions, wrapped up into one piece of software? The reason why, let's use SAP as the example, 
is because they it was driven by the limitations in technology at the time that SAP was first built. Why is it that the bill of materials function needs to live inside of ERP? It doesn't, especially since ERP isn't the consumer of it. PLM is and MES. So we need to be treating the functions of ERP as independent functions, not subsets. Micro, micro right. services. Exactly. Okay. The so stack, the stack gets flattened. That's right. We're flattening the stack that it, as a function of the evolution of technology. Okay. ERP is nothing but a series of functions like MES or SCADA. They only exist in their current form because of the limitations of technology when they were originally designed. There are many ERP functions that are integrated natively with MQTT to a unified namespace. If you're talking about transactional functions, I agree with you, Yuri. If you're talking about ERP as a whole, I do not. UNS is a structure and state of the business in real time. Retrieval of history, transactions, and aggregations are all driven from the UNS, but they're not in the UNS. So how I go retrieve the transactions is a function of first looking at the semantic hierarchy and maybe reading a topic in the UNS before I fire my request to retrieve their transaction, for example. And then Yuri said, you know better than I do that digital transformation has got to take into account technical debt and yada, yada, yada. So we did come to a consensus. So two things I want to take this in. I want to put a bow on it. Number one, the fundamental problem with enterprise class organizations with digital transformation and the fundamental problem with small organizations and mid-sized organizations are the same fucking problem. It all starts with digital strategy. If you don't know why you're trying to become a digital company, okay, you can't say how it is you're going to be a digital company. And if you can't say how you're going to be a digital company, then all it is is the Wild West. If you don't have minimum technical requirements for all the smart things in your business, then all you're doing is integrating the things that you thought of at that moment. Uh, must be seen as apps, not you're as much. Ma you're making Agreed. assumptions. Yeah, make no assumptions about data we consumed. J Josh, any other questions in the chat that we need to answer? And then I'm going to take it back to these guys. Hey, I want to I want to add something to what you said earlier, Walker, about the you know something that I did a little research on was, and this is something that's not just manufacturers, but, you know, any employer as a whole, if you don't have it and we, you know, a couple of things, factors that we've seen with this job retention, right? And we talk about this all the time with millennials, with Gen, with Gen Z. So, so two of the main things that millennials and the Gen Xers say that contributing factors for them leaving their job, no room for growth and politics in fact no room for growth and internal politics right correct this is why transparency is so important the internal politics being transparent transparency is what holds leadership accountable you know what internal politics is all it is is people who have some type of authority using it to shut down dissension or opposing views. That's all it is. That's all internal politics are. You have to create an environment as a leader, as a transformative leader, disruptive leader, where the best ideas win. On the Discord server over the weekend, it doesn't bother me that you got people saying, fuck you, fuck you, whatever. I mean, he didn't say that. But if people are yelling back and forth at one another, 
I don't have any problem with that. As long as they share common values and they're working towards a common mission. Right. If if you and I, when the three, you know, when if 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 you guys, if I if I sign your paycheck, right? If I sign your paycheck and I use the fact that I sign your paycheck to tell you to shut up, that is you can't you can't tell me I'm wrong, even if I'm wrong, that I don't belong in my position. I don't belong in my position. Leaders have to be able to justify, they have to be able to explain why they're right. Otherwise, you don't belong in leadership. And if you're wrong, you got to admit you're wrong. This is one of the things that IT does. This is why the CTO is always the CT no, right? IT does this all the time. They just say no, and then they never explain why. And then they go back to their, uh, their room and they lock the door. And they go, oh, that guy doesn't know how to reset his laptop. They can't fire me. He needs me to reset his laptop for him. For him. You know, it's the importance of the best ideas winning is so critical. I mean, what was one of the biggest issues you had the, it, it, at the place you just came from, right? Once they put that other guy in charge, right? What, yep. Once the other guy was in charge, shot down everything. He used everything. he uses authority to shoot everything down. He didn't. Yep. He even though he was wrong, clearly wrong. Absolutely, absolutely wrong. Right. That's an issue. Zach, yeah, parting thoughts. And it's going to be oh, self-destructive yeah. to the. It's going to be self-destructive to the organization. Correct. I got, I got an idea or actually I got a couple ideas, but I want to see what your thoughts are. So like, obviously me, you, Vaughn, like we're the, you know, you're there's two types of people to come, the builders and then the maintainers once you build something. Yep. So I'm like, shit, start a fucking, we should start a new company. And I got a couple ideas that we could talk about, but like, I don't know. I just want to throw that out there. Like, you know, get a little side project going, you know, let's do it. I'm down. You know, what we ought to do, we ought to do it and document it. That'd be sick. Document. I mean, we use Vicente and to have Vicente just do like a doc. We'll document it from the beginning, like uh, incorporation, um, you know, meetings, like the whole deal. Like document the whole deal. Like yeah. how do you start? I, I One of the number one questions I get is from people who want to start an integrator. Like I had a, I had a, like a 30 minute call schedule with somebody last week. And one of the reasons, one of the things they want to talk to me about was how did you hire your employees? Like, you know, cause I used MOUs, like I brought people on as 1099s. Yeah, no, you, you, you did that in mastermind, yeah. but that made me think I was actually talking, I talked with Vaughn like an hour last night, got another idea for 4.0 solutions, not like for a new company, but like, you know, you have mentorship to teach engineers, the skills for digital transformation, mastermind to teach how to lead digital transformation. There should be an even higher level mastermind that is how to build an integration company that brings it all together. And that would be like a super yeah. exclusive, like super high ticket. Like, you know, you're helping them scale their company, you know, the way that Intellic has. Yeah, it would have to be high because the last thing you want, you don't want, you don't want somebody who would use it, you know, to like. I think you're, what you're telling me, there's already a demand for that. You know, you people are already asking for it. So, all right. So, Comment down below real quick on, on two things. You don't have to do it right the second, but please, it'd be nice if you did. If you On the YouTube stream, if you commented down below on the Zach Walker, Vaughn, um, back together again, what do you guys think? Number two, what about this idea of us 
doing a, a venture and documenting it. Um, is that a cool idea? Um, and last but not least, uh, I want to make sure I drive this point home. The digital transformation bootstrapping workshop. So for people who are having trouble getting, people like Vaughn, who are having trouble getting digital transformation off the ground at their organization. We're doing this workshop on February 23rd. I talked about it earlier. One of the things I forgot to mention is everybody will get, uh, you'll get a 30 minute meeting with me as part of that. So what we'll do is we'll go over your unique issues, but the three deliverables that you will get out of that four hour workshop is how to get internal buy-in, how to manage the process of doing a digital transformation maturity assessment. You're going to get the tools to digitally transform. So what you're going to get is a, a 10 questions that you need to be answered through your organization, three questions you need to ask five cross-functional groups, and then you're going to get a, a, a matrix uh, sheet worksheet that'll allow you to score the digital maturity of your organization. Okay. And it's like, it's the lever that gets your digital transformation journey started. And, and the output coming out of that is doing something like a digital transformation maturity assessment or a workshop like that. This is really, really critical. We probably have a hundred people in the last year saying, I can't get over this hump. This session is for the people who can't get over the hump. Okay, how do I get the internal buy-in? How do I overcome the objection? And, and it's about collecting the data you need to present to your organization that we have a problem, but also to have the conversations you need to have to get people on the plant floor thinking, not just, but also leaders. All right, with that, like, subscribe, comment down below, um, hit the bell, yada, yada, yada. Vaughn, Zach, it's great to have you guys back. I can't wait to do this again. Hopefully, uh, we have to pre-record the next one if, we, if we're going to do it, if we want to do it together. We've got to pre-record it because I'll be on a cruise in a couple of weeks. But um, with that, uh, we will see you guys 